hear the words of our Lord. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thus concludes our reading. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the personal as well as corporate reminders this passage gives to us from our gracious God that when we gather together for public worship, Lord, we can anticipate, Lord, ministry from you that anticipates that great day, the day of your return or that final day when we shall see you face to face when you call us home. I pray, Lord, that this morning together through your word we indeed would be encouraged to not throw away our confidence in what Jesus has done, but all the more as we gather together to celebrate the grace of God in the gospel for the glory of your Son in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Far from being an optional part of our relationship with God, there is really nothing more vital to our enjoyment of God and our growth in the Christian life than what happens when we gather together for public worship. As his word is preached, God feeds us the bread of life. As we lift up our hearts in worship, as we did a few moments ago, or in prayer, God ministers to us his grace. When we celebrate the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and water baptism, which the Lord has commanded us to do, the realities of the gospel are, are put forth in visible forms, and our faith is strengthened as we serve one another, as we give of our finances. These acts of worship build us together as a church family. This morning, the writer to the Hebrews wants to remind us that when we gather together, our gathering together will always be central to our Christian lives. Gathering together is always central to our Christian lives, and yet our temptation is to neglect gathering together, particularly the Sunday gathering little background on the letter of Hebrews. You're well taught in this church. Paul may have even taught you uh, expositionally from the book of Hebrews. But if you're new to this book, this background, I trust will serve you. We don't know a lot about the original recipients of this letter. What we do know 
is that the believers to whom the book of Hebrews was written were experiencing all kinds of trials and temptations when it comes to living the Christian life. We are told what they did in the past. Look down with me in your Bibles at verse 32. The writer tells us what characterized their lives in the past. I put back on my reading glasses. This is new for me. Verse 32. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, speaking of their conversion, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plunder of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So because of following Christ in the past, these folks had taken some heroic stands for their faith in Jesus, suffering even the plundering of their property. And we're told that in the present, they were continuing to work hard to live as Christians, even when helping other Christians came at great personal cost. To themselves. In verse 10 of chapter 6, if you would turn back, just flip back to chapter 6 in verse 10 of chapter 6. Here's how the writer to the Hebrews would characterize their hard work today. For God, he writes, is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you have showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. So in the present, they were working hard. They were working hard to demonstrate love for fellow believers, presumably love for fellow believers in this congregation as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these believers had done some amazing things in the past, and in the present, they were working hard to live as Christians. But as the letter makes clear, although they took heroic stands in the past and were working hard in the present, Internally, perhaps imperceptibly, they were beginning to waver in their faith. Superficially, on the outside, things looked good. But inside, and God always looks on the inside, they were beginning to waver in their faith. In fact, some were beginning to turn away from following Christ and return to their former way of life which was Judaism, as, an, as, as the means of salvation. Now, here's the thing. In the passage I just read, from chapter 10, one of the, if you will, signs of their wavering, as you look at verse 25 again, look with me again at verse 25, is, is one of the signs, if you will, of their wavering, although they had taken heroic stands in the past while they were working on the print. One of the signs of their wavering is they were beginning to neglect gathering together with fellow believers. Do you see that? Verse 25, some were neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. They had stopped gathering together with fellow believers for public worship. They had stopped gathering together, as we're about to see, because they were letting go of the hope they had in Christ. 
They were stopped gathering together because they were forgetting the promise that God is faithful. They had lost confidence in Jesus' victory for their lives. Now, very few of us this morning, maybe any of us, are being persecuted as they were for their faith. But the temptation to waver and the habit then that follows to neglect gathering together is universal. And its signs are sometimes subtle. Here's one of the ways, as Linda and I have talked about it, we can be tempted to waver. And, and I'm paid not to waver. So, give just, but I'm just trying to enter into this passage. You work a long week. It's not yet Sunday, and yet you worked all day Saturday, and you've already put in 50, 55 hours. Some of you work on Saturday. Some of you get 55 hours of work done before on Friday. And you get to Sunday, and there's these other things that you haven't been able to give attention to. And they're screaming. Gardening, checkbook, home repairs, things that that need to be done, things that require attention, but you haven't had time. And yet, as you begin to get ready to go to the Sunday meeting, you're looking out and you notice your neighbor... Guess what he or she's not doing? He or she's not gathering together with the believers. He or she's getting done those things that you don't have time to get done. Their garden seems to be robust. Their, the oil on their car has been, you know, he's got the, you know, what is it I do when I change oil on my car? You know, the, I, I can't change oil on my car. But all those things you can't done, he or she's getting done. You're going to church. It's, sec- it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful day, and this thought can occur. You know what? I always go to church on Sundays. But it's a beautiful day. Let's just skip this Sunday and enjoy a beautiful day. Now, there is, there is a principle of leisure. But you know what I found as I've interacted with people who have skipped Sundays for a beautiful day? They find that then they have other reasons to skip Sundays on days that aren't so nice outside. And this subtle but pervasive desire to just sleep in, catch your breath, take the day off. Here's another one, young moms. You arrive at the the building, you've got young children to care for, you've been up all night perhaps caring for, maybe your husband's joined you with you, and the meeting for you is a distraction. You've got to go to the nursing mom's room or your children need attention. You're you're just grabbing drips and drabs of what went on in me and can't really sing a whole worship song because Junior's pulling on your your leg or or, or can't even sit through the whole sermon because you've got to go out and take care of what's... Wouldn't it just be easier to stay home and take care of my children? We could probably come up with a number, but here's one that I think all of us, I think we can be tempted to skip the Sunday meeting when our expectancy of what God wants to do when we gather begins to wane. When we no longer anticipate, when there no longer is a sense of awe and excitement, when the congregation gathers together, God is going to do something unique there, even eternal there, of of utmost significance, not only to your personal lives, but to our lives as a congregation, that isn't being done any other time of the week. And I think this passage is in Scripture to not only 
remind us that there, our temptation for all of us is to neglect the public gatherings for worship. But, but when we know and have from Scripture the, the, the reasons why God calls us to gather, then we come into the Sunday meeting with a sense of expectancy because we know what God has promised to do. We're not just doing it because we've always done it. We're not just doing it because, you know, if we struggle with legalism, which, which is another universal sentiment, where there's this thought that if I don't go, God's somehow angry with me or mad with me. Then that's not why we come. God, God is satisfied with us because of Christ. It's the grace of God in which we celebrate. We come because there's an expectancy that God is going to do something in our gathering and in Scripture, he tells us what that is. Let's look at the passage. It says in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. If you look at the structure of the paragraph before us, we notice in verses 19 and 20 as well in 21 that the writer to the Hebrews provides the foundation for the commands he will give us in verses 22 through 25. The logic of the paragraph kind of flows self-evidently from the paragraph. So in verses 19 and 20 and 21, we are given, if you will, the foundation for the exhortations and applications that he's about to give. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. The first reason we are not to neglect meeting together is that we have confidence to enter the holy place because of what Jesus has done. The phrase in verse 19, the blood of Jesus, is clearly a reference to his death. Here is our motivation for meeting together. Because of what Jesus has done, We have confidence to enter the presence of God together. I love that word confidence. It's used again in verse 35. Confidence, it means the certainty that comes with faith in the truths that we have been taught. So in verse 35, the writer says, Therefore do not throw away your confidence. Apparently these believers were were throwing away the truths that they had formerly been taught. So when they gathered together, the reason they were wavering is because they weren't believing that God welcomed them into his presence. Why? Because they had lost focus on what Jesus had done as the basis for their, their intimate, personal, corporate worship of God. At Crossway Church, we've been working really hard on this one. And what I mean by that is this. When people hear, hear the word gospel, which we try to use every week and then say what it means, Christ died for your sins, Christ rose for your redemption, Christ is seated and he's actively working, he has saved you, you're forgiven, you're, you're declared righteous, you're indwelt by... We tend to think, I don't know if you said, we tend to think in almost exclusively individualistic terms. We tend to think in terms of, yeah, that's... That's good for me, and it is good for me. If you're not a believer here today and you're exploring the Christian life, it is good news to be told that God, the eternal Son, became a man in order to offer his life on the cross as your representative, your substitute, in order to pay the full price for the offense, your rebellion and your transgressions and your 
your rejection of him as your creator have created. And so he hung there, suspended between earth and heaven, and satisfied the judgment of God. Died and was risen again so that everyone who turns from their sins and puts their faith in Christ is completely forgiven and forever declared righteous. But we tend to hear that, don't we, in exclusively private terms when it comes to our worship. But this says we gather together because of what Christ has done. Yes, conversion is personal. Yes, Jesus calls you individually to follow him. Yes, repentance is a command to you personally. Yes, the promise is offered to you as an individual. But having been converted, we, it says. Am I making this up? Is this in your Bibles? It says, let us worship because of what Christ has done is corporate. Now, it's one thing when the visiting pastor who's a church planter, you know, and still kind of figuring out even where the supermarket is in Philadelphia, says that. But you know, there's a dawning realization in evangelicalism. It's very exciting. Bruce Milne, Peter Adams, if you're familiar with that's recognizing the corporate the corporate realities of worshiping God that are found throughout this New Testament of ours. And here's one of them. We gather together because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, let us not throw away our confidence in what Jesus has done because there's great reward. Verse 35. Don't throw away the truth you've been taught, the writer says. Jesus gave himself for you, but now Jesus invites all of you together to celebrate what he has done. Last week we sang a hymn. It's probably a hymn that you do. Michael W. Smith popularized it on one of his worship live albums. Uh, it's called You Are Lord. And the, the personal pronoun in the entire song is, I will sing, I will sing, I will sing, I will sing, I will sing. And so I asked the worship leader, hopefully I didn't get in trouble with Michael W. Smith, but I said, can we change the words of the song to we will sing? Because we are gathered together because of what Christ has done. And so he stopped, you know, rebooted, and then he sang the song as a corporate expression that we're doing this together. It changed, it changed completely how we as a congregation worshipped in the moment. Because we're in the front row and the back row. We together were, by faith, taking each other by the hand and saying, let's enter his holy place as a congregation. One of the reasons we gather is because of the work Jesus has done. Ask yourself, ask yourself. As we were singing this morning, as perhaps you were praying about your church service this morning, which I encourage you to do, we, to, we do that corporately and we do that personally. Ask yourself, is my confidence wavering in the work of Christ? Is my confidence in any way wavering? Are there any ways that I'm neglecting meeting together with other believers in the public worship assembly, because my confidence in the work of Christ, the gospel, 
is beginning to waver? It's an important question to ask. Secondly, in verse 25, I want to draw attention to, did you notice that we gather to be encouraged by God's grace? Verse 25, let's read it again. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. His point is clear. We are strengthened when we gather together because God is present to encourage us when we gather together by the word of his grace. We are encouraged as we are built up by the gospel. We are encouraged as we are reminded of what Jesus has done. We are encouraged as the Holy Spirit does what he does illuminating in our hearts corporately and encouraging us individually that he is near to us as he did even in the prophetic ministry this morning as our shepherd. We gather to be encouraged by God's grace. But look at the passage as a whole. What is the, what is the means by which that grace comes to the church corporately? Did you notice that well, beginning in verse 22, it says, let us draw near. You see that? Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And in verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Again, repeating, let us. And then finally in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another towards love and good works. It seems like one of the very important, essential reasons we gather together is that we gather together to encourage one another in the word of God's grace. There was a season in my life as a single where my work required that I miss the Sunday meeting. And uh, I, was a, I was a student. Uh, I, had, I, had, I had college expenses to pay. And so one summer, unwisely, in hindsight... Uh, I worked as a, a, as a waiter as well as a um, newspaper delivery guy, uh, and I literally missed almost three months uh, of the Sunday meeting. I would, I, would, I would gather with my small group during the week, and I would try to do accountability as well with some brothers, and, but I wasn't in the Sunday meeting, and, and the reason was because my job you know, there was a demand made. And what I found, even though those other settings were helpful, that as the summer wore on, I became more discouraged. I, frankly, I became more tempted by many things, beginning internally with my own heart. Temptation to wander, begin to listen to things on the radio I normally wouldn't listen to, and a lot of it. Uh, I just, my thought life, I began to let it go. Um, and, and I found that, that I, I couldn't quite put words to it, but I began to drift. And then summer ended, kind of schedule return, and I went to the summer, the Sunday meeting for what had been three months. I've been a believer about eight, nine years at this point. I bawled my eyes out for the entire service. Because from, from the moment I arrived to the moment I left, I was just the object of God's encouragement, ready? Through fellow believers who had missed me. So can we pray for you? Oh, we know it's been a hard summer for you. They weren't, they weren't questioning my wisdom. They weren't, they weren't rebuking me. for. They just missed me, and they were where I was absent. 
And they began to encourage me, and I just burst. And I'm not usually a burster. But I burst. I was a puddle of tears because God had given them encouragement for me. And what awaited me receiving that was being at the meeting. I learned my lesson. That when we gather on Sunday, one of the reasons we gather is God wants to use you and use me. Certainly use the pastor, but use the church to encourage one another with his grace. I hope that's your experience. You're called king of grace. And so God in his province has given you a name, which means those who come in here and come regularly should not only be encountering God in the worship, which they do, should not only hear God speak to them through the ministry of the word, which they do, but when they meet you, God wants to use you. And he already is using you, but even more so as the priorities are based on Scripture to encourage each other because of what Christ has done. How, question, how, how might God want to use you this morning before you go to encourage someone? Do this. We've been doing this at Crossway. We're, we can be a little shy as congregation, but we're growing this. I want you to look at the person nearest to you that's not a part of your immediate family. Just look at them for a moment. I know this is awkward. Don't, we won't stay there long. Just look. Okay, then turn your head the other way. Look again. How might God want to use you to encourage the person sitting six feet near you as part of your congregation? you this when the world comes into a setting where they see a demonstration of the presence of God through the encouragement of God's people to one another they may not be able to explain what's going on but something inside them says I think God is in this place how might God want to use you this morning to encourage each other with his grace. That's why it's so important we meet together because God wants to encourage us with his grace through one another. Finally, my final point, Paul. Final point, we gather in anticipation of heaven. I'm particularly thankful for Jared Mellinger, who is a pastor of a church Paul and I once interned at. As he preached on this text, this particular point raised my eyes to what is particularly a exciting reality. Look at, look at the final verse of the paragraph we read. Let's begin verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in my translation, the word day is capitalized. I struggle in, in Greek New Testament, but when I see a capital letter in my translation, I'm assuming the translators are drawing attention to something. We are to encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here is the final reason for not neglecting to gather for public worship, but instead to realize God's God's priority and passion when we gather together, the day is drawing near. 
The day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns for his beloved bride, the church, his people, who are suffering opposition, who, who are in a fallen world and fallen people, and groan awaiting for their final redemption. And, and so there, there's a sense in which, and this is incredible, that when we gather together on the Lord's day, the Lord is already here anticipating that day, and he's preparing us for it. You ever think about that? There is a day coming when Christ will rip the clouds apart and return for his people. It's a dreadful day for the, for the, the unbelieving, rebellious who have rejected his gospel. But for those who have been redeemed, it's a glorious day. It's a wedding day. It's a day where he will see us face to face and us him. And our hearts will erupt with joy. But he's not waiting to that day to prepare you for it. He's saying we should gather together in anticipation of that day. Well, if he's telling us to do something... I would assert that when we gather together, he's present to prepare us. He's present to get us ready. He's present to build a sense of expectation and anticipation that in light of that day, which is certain, although unknown, this day, this Sunday, this public gathering, God is with us as a congregation to prepare our hearts for heaven. As my friend Dave Magoon said, though, who's older than me and looks much older than me, He said, Bauer, some of us may not have to wait for that day. There's a, there's a small day, small capital D day, that may be today. When I preached this passage, the previous Wednesday, when I preached this passage originally, Tom Brady, who some of you have heard of, Tom Brady had just negotiated his four-year extension. I think he's getting paid less than the King of Grace annual budget, but... but he, he negotiated this whopping deal, and he gave it an interview, which was kind of the media in the way. He said, you know, it's great that I got a four-year extension, and, and I, I want to finish my career as a patriot. But you know what? I have today. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I have today. And we just, it's a blessing, and I want to live today in light of that blessing, grateful, and, and not be so preoccupied with how you're going to spend the money or... When you play the jet, you know, I have today. And he's now, you know, this is Tom Brady, I'm not holding up. A, I know there's questions about Tom. But just listen, he's thinking about he's got today. Do you know what happened on the next day? He's driving through Boston at 6.30 in the morning. He's in his car. He lives in Boston. And as he pulls out in the intersection, he has a green light. A minivan comes flying through and crashes right into him. The driver of the minivan is in critical condition, needs jaws of life to be pulled out of the car. And Brady's standing there, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. He, he he, He wasn't far removed from the truth when he said to the media, I've got today. He almost met his maker that day. You know what? You don't know either. I don't know if today is the last day or not. But I do know that a day is coming 
that may precede that glorious final day when the Lord returns, when he calls me home, and the corporate gathering, friends, prepares me for that every Sunday. So I said to my church then, on that day, I don't want to be standing face to face with my maker and boasting, confessing what I have done when he says to me in his glorious, unapproachable radiance, why should I welcome you into your eternal rest? I don't want to be saying, well, because I church planted or because I had devotions, or because I've been going to church for 25 years, or whatever other things, I want to fall down in that moment and say, because I've got a Savior, your Son who died for me and is risen, and now is seated there as my righteousness. I want to be boasting in that, because if this is the last day, that's my only hope. When I gather on Sunday, and I'm reminded of the Gospel by Paul, and the, the ministry of his word and the worship, his gospel-centered, Christ-exalting, focused on Scripture. That makes sure that whether it's my day or that day, I'm grounded in the work that Jesus has done. I'm so grateful you're doing the Alpha course. Not only because of the blessing it is to those who take it, but the blessing it is to the church who gives it. Because they're hearing every week the hope of their confession, the basis, as the writer of Hebrews says, by which they can gather, indeed with confidence, enter the holy place, that they can draw near, in verse 22, with a true heart, that they can, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, hold fast the confession without wavering. We gather in anticipation of heaven because of the work Jesus has done. I think if we understand the significance of, of why this writer is encouraging them to gather. Not in a legalistic way, but in a way that realizes the importance of what we are doing, the significance of what God is promising. We come with an overwhelming sense of privilege, but also expectation. These believers had lost sight of those privileges. They were throwing away their confidence in the grace of God revealed in the gospel. And they had certainly... They were living on the sense of expectancy when they gathered together. May the Lord grace us this morning that when we gather together for public worship, it is central to the Christian life. Clue with the words of J.I. Packer, wonderful book, Knowing God. Every Sunday, writes Dr. Packer, is meant to be a great day. We should approach it with expectancy in full awareness of this. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word to us. May, Lord, we not neglect the summer in the habit of doing, gathering together for public worship. But because of what Jesus has done, because of the encouragement you give to each of us for one another, and because of that day that draws near, may we gather together in expectant faith to meet our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.